Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Amen. Thanks, Leonard. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians... 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just uh, two verses, verses 3 and 4. Amen. Bible says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. What is God like? He's the Father of compassion. He's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can be a comfort to those who are going through a tough time. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for your word and your presence, and I thank you, Father, um, that you're going to speak to each and every one of us today. Bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Just let there be freedom. No distraction in our midst, Lord God. I just pray that this word will, will touch us deeply this morning, Lord God, I pray, and that would, would, there would be a shift in our hearts and lives. I thank you that you will speak. I just pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to help us understand, and I thank you, Father, for the freedom uh, Father, forgive us, Lord God, of our sins. Let us let us know you in a greater and a deeper way, even this morning, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, it's Father's Day today, and I want to uh, thank all the dads, as Lana has already uh, said so well, um, uh, all the dads here today that form the backbone uh, of this expression of the body of Christ here at life. I want to thank you for your leadership, uh, for your protection, your spiritual insight and fight you bring uh, to the church. Here, I want to encourage you uh, to continue to lead uh, your families with grace and truth. It's never just grace and it's never just truth. It's always the two uh, combined. It's love your wives, love your children, affirm their worth and their value. There is nothing like affirmation from a dad or uh, I was thinking today, I was thinking about, you know, there's nothing like a, a blessing spoken over your children. It's very powerful when, when, when a dad will stand and, and, and speak a blessing over their children. So keep on doing that, but also never be afraid to speak the truth when required. Never let fear stop you from speaking the truth and make sure it's always spoken in in love. And so we want to just encourage you dads. We, we just love you. Keep on doing the incredible work that you're doing today. Today I've got a different kind of Father's Day message that I pray is going to speak to all of us. It's certainly spoken to me. I pray it's going to speak to all of us today. There are certain times in the year when we celebrate as families. We celebrate Easter, Christmas, weddings, birthdays, Mother's Day, and of course, Father's Day. Now, for most people, these significant days are a happy time. But for some people, these days are actually a reminder that someone is missing. And I want to speak to those people this morning for whom Father's Day or any other celebratory day might be a difficult day. But more than that, I want to, I want to speak to all of us 
about how we can comfort those who are grieving, hurting, those who may be going through a difficult time in their life. Uh, it's, it's a message that actually applies to all of us in one way or another. I've entitled the message, Learning to Be a Comfort. I've got some material from a guy called David Johnson, so I just um, uh, I want to acknowledge that, and uh, just some powerful material. Eugene Peterson says this, It's hard to admit that we are human. One evidence for that is the outrageous schemes we come up with to avoid fully feeling, to avoid particularly feeling pain and loss. So we deny and pretend that there is no loss, that we aren't really hurt, and we don't really care, but losses are all over the place. One of the things we experience in life is pain and loss. Pain is a reality of life. Loss is a reality of life, and it comes in many forms. Of course, the, the, the obvious losses that we can experience is, is the death of a loved one, someone who's close to us. But the other kinds of pains or losses we can experience is a diagnosis, a retrenchment, the struggle to have children. We had all of these expectations, but they don't seem to be coming to pass. And even the end of a marriage or the struggle in a marriage. And when we go through pain or someone else does, we don't always know how to handle it. We don't know how to handle these difficulties. We as a society do everything we can to avoid feeling pain. We do everything that we can to, to make sure that, that, that pain is not a part of our lives. And that's true among Christians as well. It's like if you feel pain uh, or sadness, there must be something wrong with you. You know, you're weak. You've done something wrong. That's the reason why you're going through what you're going through. Just be strong. Get over it. It's going to be fine. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Je Jesus is saying here, he's saying, happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who find a way to express their pain, because they will be comforted. It's kind of an oxymoron there. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. How can those two words actually be in one sentence? And yet there's a, there's a deep truth here that I think our society needs to understand. We, 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 we struggle to deal with pain. We struggle to deal with hardship. We don't want that part of our lives. We just want to be happy all the time. And yet life is not like that. Because sometimes... Some of the depth of life is actually found in the morning. Um, I remember, I think it was the Queen that said, you know, grief is the price we pay for love. If you love deeply, then you're going to experience grief deeply at some particular time. If you love in a shallow, in a shallow way, well, don't worry. You'll never grieve. You'll never experience pain because you don't really care. But if you experience love deeply, you're going to grieve deeply as well, it's a part of life. We need to learn how to navigate those seasons in our life. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn because those that do mourn shall be comforted, shall find comfort. Not only do we struggle with expressing pain, we also struggle with giving and receiving comfort. All of us have been in a situation where someone we know has faced a terrible time. What do you say to them? Well, what do you do that's going to help? What, what, what are you going to say that's actually going to help them through this particular situation? In some cultures, there's a whole range of traditions and rituals that they go through related to grief. In some European cultures, the women wear black and, you know, uh, when someone significant has died in their lives, it's a statement that says, I'm in a season of grieving, 
Go easy on me. Uh, don't expect me to be strong. I'm emotionally really fragile right now. And, and people treated them like that. People treat them like that. They understand that they're going through a really difficult season in their life. So let's be aware of that. So people would step back, give room for that person above all else to go through that grieving season, that season of grief. At Jesus' time, there were a whole range of traditions related to grieving. They even had professional mourners. They would wear sackcloth and ashes, tear their clothes, throwing dirt on their heads. Very expressive. I kind of wonder what would that look like? I mean, I was trying to think this week, how, how, would, how would that look like? You know, I've got a situation, you know, there's, a, there's been a death in the family. What, what, what do you do? Do you pick up the phone and go, yes, hey, good morning. This is, this is a Mourners Association. How can I help you? Yes, I've got a funeral coming up. I'd like a couple of mourners if I can, please. So what kind of mourners would you like? Would you like the, you know, the, the, the top of the range or the middle or the, you know, which is like low-key mourners? Oh, no, I'm looking for the top of the range mourners. We want, we want the, you know, the ashes, tearing of clothes and so on. You know, um, I mean, do they discuss hiring the mourners when they prepare for the funeral? Yeah, how many mourners would you like? Yeah, give me a half a dozen. That'd be, that'd be really good. I mean, how do people apply for those jobs? Seriously, can you just imagine? Yes, uh, and, and, and uh, let me see your resume. Yeah, I went to the, went to the University of Jerusalem. And what did you study there? Oh, I started mourning. I got a Bachelor of Mourning. Oh, really? I can use, you know, do, 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 they, do they, you know, you know, show me how you mourn? You know, do they have to, do they have to what do you call it uh, when you, anyway, do they have to get, you know, huh? they have to, re no, they rehearse, they have to, anyway, do, do they have to, yeah, give me, give me your best shot. Let me see what you can do with the mourning. You know I mean? How do they work through all of that? It's just fascinating. Another Jewish tradition around grieving was a practice called sitting shiva. Sitting shiva was where for seven days, those closest to the mourner would just sit with them. There's a great example of this in scripture. It's probably already coming to mind um, and it's found in the book of Job, book we've been looking at over the last few weeks. If there's someone who experienced incredible loss, it was Job. In this situation, Job has three friends who come to comfort him. And so I want us to learn from these guys, the things they did well, the things they didn't do well. I want us to kind of explore this whole question. How do we bring comfort to those who are hurting deeply? I know it's not your typical Father's Day message, but I just felt very strongly this is a message we need, we need uh, to, to learn from. And we need to acknowledge the reality that a day like today, a day of celebration, is not a day of celebration for everybody. So let's speak into that even this morning. My prayer is that through their story, we will learn principles on how we can comfort the broken. Story of Job begins in chapter one with Job described as a good and righteous man. And life was going really well for Job, but when in the blink of an eye, he lost everything. He lost his children, his wealth, uh, his standing in the community, the support of his wife, and then he lost his health as well with boils coming all over his body. The Bible says when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the whatever, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, uh, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with and comfort Job. 
came together to sympathize and comfort Job. Verse 12 says, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkling dust on their heads. And then they sat on the ground with him for, here it is, seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. They did what was done in those times. They would just come along to the grieving person and they would sit with them for seven days, not saying a word, just saying nothing. William Hume says this sitting in silence is a sacramental silence, nonverbal and yet tangible communication of the Spirit. There's not a lot of communication happening, but there is a deep communication that is actually happening. Most of us have had the experience of not knowing what to say when ministering to someone overcome with grief and fortunately have the good sense to say nothing. Our presence spoke for itself and formed the basis of whatever words might be said at a later time. Most of us know how to comfort someone who's just sad. We know how to comfort someone who's, you know, going through a, 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 a situation in their lives that's not very serious. But how do we comfort someone who's going through a situation that's not going to change? Someone who's lost their job, we can say, oh, that's terrible, you've lost your job. But we know they can start looking for another one. But how do you comfort someone for whom a situation, it's not going to change, it's not, it's not fixable, it doesn't make any sense. Where is God? Why does God, where was God when this all happened? When we're faced with a situation like that, we feel like we've got to talk. We feel like we've got to say something. We feel like we have to explain what has happened, give a reason for what's happened. Why, why, why is it that we feel like we have to talk? Why is it that we feel like we have to explain it? Maybe it's because we're afraid of the real question, the question of uh, suffering raises about God, which is why did God allow it? Why didn't he act? Why didn't he do something? We feel like in some way in these situations that don't make any sense to us, we feel like we have to defend God in some way. And so we talk, we say things. We deal with the perplexity by trying to explain God when we have absolutely no idea what God is doing. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations or one of those seasons, but they are, they are, they are quite daunting. And I tell you what's going to get through those seasons, it's the grace of God. It's by His grace and for His glory. It's where all the questions come into your mind. Where is God? What, 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 why, why, why has this happened? And so, you know, the temptation when someone is going through one of those kind of situations, the temptation is, I've got to say something. I've got to somehow, you know, deal with this in their lives. And when we do that, we usually end up saying dumb things. People say things like, oh, God must have needed another angel, so He took your child. Uh, you, you know, you can just the, the absurdity of that, you know, that, 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 you know, God is in heaven. I need another angel. No, we've run out of angels. Well, why don't you pick a child and get them up here? It's the absurdity of that. Kind of sounds cute and sounds kind of nice, but actually doesn't help at all. People say, oh, at least they didn't suffer. It could have been worse. You need to be strong. I know how you feel. No, you don't. How can you possibly know how someone else feels when they're going through an incredible tragedy in their lives? In fear of looking like a fool by saying nothing, people open their mouths and remove all doubt. I'm going to say that again. I thought that was very intelligent. In fear of looking like a fool by saying nothing, 
people open their mouth and remove all doubt that they are a fool by what they just said. Job's friends were silent for seven days. The custom was that after seven days, the grieving person would eventually speak and break the silence. They were the only ones who were actually allowed to in this kind of context. Job finally broke the silence in Job chapter three. It says, after this, Job opened his mouth. So I want you to just kind of picture the scene here. We did a play here in church many, 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 many years ago. Uh, the whole story of Job and you kind of got the picture. There's four of them sitting. There's Job and his three, three friends that are there kind of, kind of just listening. Job is tormented by what's just happened. His friends are there with him and, and no one has said a word for seven days. No talking. So what do you think would be the first words to come out of Job's mouth? What would you like Job to say? What, what would you like Job to say in a situation like this where he's, he's gone through the worst tragedy of his life, nothing's being said, he's about to speak, what would you like him to say? Maybe a little bit of appreciation would be good. Thanks for coming, guys. <laughs> I know things are bad, but God is good. He's on the throne. All things work together for good. When God closes a door, he opens a window. If Job had said that, Job's friends would have responded, gee, Job, you're amazing. Your faith is so strong. We came to comfort you, but you've comforted us. Job would be the hero. We would all feel good and we can all go home with our little paradigms about who God is and how God works and how he functions intact and our little cliches about who God is and how he works and God is good and everything is good. See you at church next Sunday. That's not what happened at all. Bible says after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. May the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived that day. May it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. May those who curse days curse that day. Not only did they have professional mourners in those days, they had professional curses. The guys who tried out for mourning, no, nah, you're not going to make a good mourner. Try the cursing. I think that's going to work for you. May the professional curses curse the day that I was born. Wow, that wasn't expected. I didn't expect him to come out with that. What a far cry from what he said a few days earlier. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He kind of, he was worshipping a few days ago. Where has all of this come from now? It's an interesting thing to talk about this in theory. But for those that have actually gone through something like this, you know exactly what's going on here. Our knee-jerk reaction is, Father, I know you're real and I know you're on the throne and I know that you're sovereign and I know that you're in, there's something inside of you that knows that and we declare it. But as time progresses, the questions start coming and suddenly you feel overwhelmed by the situation. My thoughts are that somewhere in those seven days of silence, something happened. Something happened in those seven days, an important thing, it needed to happen. As Job was sitting with his three friends, a bond was formed, a sense of trust, someone that understands me. Maybe I can tell these guys how I really feel, not how I'm supposed to feel. 
So he pours out his heart. He releases the anger, the thoughts, the confusion, the questions, the pain and the anger. C.S. Lewis calls it a primal scream, which is what he experienced when his wife died. C.S. Lewis was a bachelor most of his, most of his life. And, and then he, 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 met a, he met a woman called Joy, surprised by Joy, married to her for, a, for two or three years. And then she died with cancer. And he spoke about grief. And he calls it the primal scream. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Job thought he could mourn, but he was wrong. And to Eliphaz, who hears Job vent, and well, he has one objective, and that is to fix him. Here's Job venting about cursing the day that he was born. Eliphaz is listening to that, and he says, well, we've got to deal with this. We've got to deal with it quickly. It's not okay to talk like this. Christians don't talk like this. You read his response in Job chapter 4 and you can hear the condescending, arrogant tone of his voice. Listen to what Eliphaz said. He says, if someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. He's speaking to Job right now. Job, you've taught a lot of people. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You've strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes to you and you're discouraged. This strikes you and you're dismayed. Should not your piety, should not your holiness, your righteousness be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? Consider now who who being innocent has ever perished. You can can kind of hear this guy. He's, He's kind of, he's telling Job, well, you know, who... That has, ever, that has ever been innocent has perished. And where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble will reap it. What was he saying? What was Eliphaz saying? Eliphaz was saying, if you're suffering, Job, it must be because you've done something wrong. That's the only explanation for why you're going through what you're going through. There can be no other explanation. To Eliphaz, everything was really clear to him. His theology was intact, cause and effect. It's a predictable universe. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. To Eliphaz, the theory was simple. Job, you're suffering because you have done something wrong. And if you just confess it, he says in verse chapter 5, verse 8, but if I were you, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. And Job said, oh, gee, Eliphaz, that's a great idea. I didn't think of that. Maybe I might give that a shot. Here's what I don't like about Eliphaz. Is that Eliphaz is so sure. When I was young, uh, which was only a few years ago, um, when I was young, all my theories were intact. My theology was intact. My theology about God was intact. I knew when God moved and when he didn't move. I knew what God did and why God did this. I had it all under control. And then I went through some stuff, didn't I? And suddenly, all my theories no longer worked. All the things I expected, all the things I understood were suddenly shattered completely. And in that, in that, if 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 you allow God to do some work there, God does some of his greatest work in our lives. It's, it's, in, it's in that space where God does 
some of his greatest work. I'll come back to that in just a second. At the end of chapter five, Eliphaz says, we have studied life and found all this to be true. Here he is, Eliphaz, Professor Eliphaz, theologist, whatever, you know, he, he's got it together, this guy. Listen to my counsel and apply it to yourself. Book, the Bible is a book of principles and laws, just by the way. I'm going to come back to that and touch on that next week. If, we, you, if you sow this, you reap this. If you obey this, you will be blessed. Um, 99% of the times, that is absolutely true. But there are times where you sow and you obey and the complete opposite happens. People call these seasons the dark night of the soul. The Bible refers to it the ministry of the night. Crisis of faith, it's when nothing makes sense in your walk with God. You, you press into God long enough. You cry out to God long enough. You've heard me say this before, the stages of our walk with God. Stage number one, you come to know God as your Savior. Stage number two is, is you know, you want to grow in your faith. You want to get closer to God. Stage number three, you want to serve. Where can I serve? I want to find a place to start to use the gifts. And if you keep on growing and you keep on saying, God, I want to get closer to you. God, I want to know you. God, I want to be everything that you want me to be. Stage number four is you hit the wall. You hit a wall so hard, you don't, you, don't, you don't know who you are any longer. Where everything that you've believed about God and everything that you've believed about life is suddenly shattered in a second. And what do you do there? And what do you, what do, you do in that moment? Because that, that's a crossroad. It's a moment of truth. What are you going to do? What, what are you going to do? Are you going to hang on to God or are you going to turn your back and, and go back to where you used to be? Some people in that situation, they go, this is all too hard. And they go back to this superficial relationship with God, superficial cliches that help no one because it's a lot safer to be there. Whereas other, some people turn their back on God in that situation. Whereas other people kind of sit there and allow God to work something in their lives because it's in that season that God does some of his greatest work in shaping the human heart and the human soul. And then if they get through that season, stage five, six, and seven are the same as the, st as the first three stages, but now you're serving with a completely different mindset. Now, now, now suddenly you, you're, 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 you're a Job now who's come out the other side and you're a different kind of person. Peter Scazzaro says about this season, our good feelings of God's presence evaporate. We feel the door of heaven has been shut as we pray. Darkness, helplessness, weariness, a sense of failure or defeat, barrenness, emptiness, dryness descends upon us. The Christian disciplines that we have, that have served us up to this time, no longer work. He's written an amazing book called Emo uh, The Spiritually Emotional Wholeness or something. Uh, Peter Scazzaro, get the book, it's worth reading. If ever you're in a dark place and you need to be comforted by someone, choose someone who's been through the dark night of the soul. Choose someone who's been there. Choose a Job to help you through that season. And you can tell who they are because they refuse to give shallow, superficial responses to deep pain. They refuse. They know how, how, how stupid they sound and they refuse to give those kind of answers. Eliphaz goes even stronger when in chapter four, he says, God has spoken to me about the word was secret. He brought to me my ears, caught a whisper of it. A form stood before my eyes and I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? What was he saying? 
What he was saying was, God told me why you're suffering, and it's because you have sinned. And he used all this poetry to try to convince Job, oh, God appeared to me. Uh, you know, the hair stood on my, my arms. You read about that in the, in the text. And, and, and he told me that can a person be more pure than God? Job is smart enough to read between the lines. He's not phased by these accusations. He's not phased by condemnation. He argues back. One of the things we need to be careful of, when we listen carefully, when we're going through a trial, is the thought we've done something wrong, we've sinned, we've crossed the line. It's so easy to think like that because inside of us, there's plenty of material for the devil to work with. Who is perfect? Well, no one is perfect. And so the enemy starts to remind us, well, the reason why you're going through this is because of this, 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 and this. But we need to remember that he is the accuser of the brethren. We need to remember that he is, his, 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 his strategy, his weapon is condemnation. And Job sees through this. I just love the inside of Job. He doesn't buy into the rhetoric. He sees it and he starts to push back. Job says, I know what you're saying, but I also see some other truths. He said, the wicked don't perish. Their descendants do well. Their houses are safe. So how does that fit in with your pretty little theory about how God works? What Job was saying is it's not as simple as you make it out to be. And then Job backs off and says about his friends in chapter 6, he says, you're like a mirage to thirsty travelers. They thought they saw an oasis, but when they got there, it was a desert just like you. I thought you guys, when you were coming, I thought you would help me. I th but, but it's turned out that you've just been, a, you were a mirage, a desert. And you're dealing with someone in despair, not someone who's sad. And there's a big difference. Someone who's lost something they can't retrieve, something bad has happened, unfixable, inconsolable. How do you help them? Be careful of a shift in you from caring from them to protecting your theories about God. Because whether you like it or not, when you're faced with something like that, their questions become your questions. And some people are scared to ask those questions why. And so they push back with, with all kinds of cliches. Be careful of that shift. So Eliphaz taps out, Bildad taps in, then Bildad the Shura replied, how long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Bildad is actually picking up Job's words and throws them back as in his face. He says, Did you, do you mean to correct what I say, said Job, and treat my desperate words as wind? Job was saying to these guys, do you think I don't know what I'm saying? Do you think I have no insight? Do you think I'm just venting wildly? Do you think my words are just wind? Here's the deal, despairing people sometimes say things they have not thought through. They sound like wind, doubt, they rage towards God, but there's nothing like that at all. These are pre-reflective thoughts. They're not the final answer, but they need to be expressed in a safe place. And as we express that pain to God, God starts to give us the grace to be able to deal with the, with the, with the complexities of what we deal with, we're dealing with. Mourning is messy. And we all need a safe place to deal with the pain. Safe place to express the anger. Did, Bildad didn't get that bottom line. He presses on with these theoretical questions. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? In other words, does God ever make, does God mess up? Does he make a mistake? I mean, does God send calamity and think, oh no, I sent it to Job. He's a righteous man. What am I doing? I got it wrong. Of course not. So you're obviously getting what you deserve. But if you will seek God earnestly, 
then everything's going to be fine. To build out life can be explained in simple steps. Seek God, ask for forgiveness, life, live a pure life, then surely everything's going to go well with you. And by the way, all of that's right, by the way. All of that is right. But it doesn't always work that way. And Job refuses to buy into that because Job had lived with his own formula all of his life, but now his formula wasn't working. He, he, he had it all worked out himself. He knew what God was like. He knew how to, he knew how to work out. He would, even, he would even do sacrifices before his kids threw a party or after they threw a party, just in case they had sinned. He had it all worked out, had Job. But then he hits the wall, and when you hit the wall, your formulas don't work. Job defends himself, and then Zophar, the third friend, taps in. It's more of the same. You've done something wrong. You've sinned. If you repent, everything's going to be okay. Job still doesn't buy into it. He says, you people really know everything, don't you? And when you die, wisdom will die with you. I love that phrase. What Job was saying is, you guys are so smart, and you guys are so wise that when you die, wisdom is going is to end with you. That's how smart you are. You are miserable comforters, all of you. An assessment God agrees with in Job 42, because God calls them evil, speaking lies about me, he says. David Johnson says, if we bring simplistic, manipulative, condescending solutions to an honest person that is in a lot of pain, expect to get blasted. NTLU, he's the fourth guy in the story, and he's a bit like the other three. He too makes some mistakes. He says stupid things, but he has a different kind of spirit and that makes all the difference. Our spirit is going to make all the difference in how we, how we deal with someone, how we help someone, how we walk with someone. He doesn't condescend, doesn't try and fix, doesn't try and explain. He says, I'm the same as you in God's sight. I too am a piece of clay. No fear of me should alarm you, nor should my hand be heavy on you. And Elihu confronts Job, but it's with a different spirit. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to try and fix this, push you, manipulate you. And in that context, in that spirit, then God begins to speak. And Job begins to hear the voice of the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Job 38, verse 1. That's a word that encourages me, and I pray it will encourage you. God always speaks in the storm. Just stay in the place and don't move. He will speak. If it's not today, it's tomorrow. If it's not this month, it'll be next month. Just stay in the place. He will speak in the storm. So what do we learn from all of this? That was the introduction, by the way. How's everybody doing? Good. Great. 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 You haven't got any plans today, have you? No. Good. Uh, here we go. Quickly. Number one, learn the power of silence. They got an old version of the sermon. <laughs> Learn the power of silence. When confronting someone who's broken, avoid the temptation to say something just for the sake of it. Just be there. <laughs> it's your presence that has the greatest capacity to minister healing. So often we say, I don't know what to say. It's true. If you're not sure what to say, say nothing. It's okay. I feel like you have to say something. Just be there. Story about a four-year-old boy who saw his next-door neighbor, an elderly gentleman sitting in his porch, weeping after his wife's funeral. Without saying a word, he walked over, climbed up on the old man's lap and just sat there. Later, his mother, who'd been watching out the window, asked him what he said to the old man. The boy answered, nothing. I just helped him to cry. 
Number two, avoid trying to fix the problem. Don't see the person as a, in pain as someone to fix. A problem that needs to be solved. A challenge that needs to be explained. We don't always know why people go through what they do. So don't try and explain it. Our role is simply to come alongside of people. Help them grieve, be with them, be their strength. Hold their hands when the, hold their hands up like Aaron and her. When, when their hands are so tired, they can no longer pray. Just help them hold their hands up. Just be with them in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because ultimately, the answers are only going to be found in the presence of God. Asaph said, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. Then I understood their final destiny. Sorry, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Because that's where the answers are going to be found. Number three, allow the grieving to vent. It's okay to bring up questions to God. Read Habakkuk chapter one. It's okay to bring answers to God. Psalm 73, to ask the tough questions, to say the things that make no sense. We need to understand that these are just pre-reflective thoughts. They're not the final answer. I know that God is real. I know that He's on the throne. I know that He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. I just don't get what is happening and it hurts. I'm in pain. And it's okay to express that. We all need a safe place to express that. And the only way you can, the safe place you can, is with someone who understands the value of the expression. And is willing not to react. Is smart enough to keep their mouth closed. Finally, never underestimate the value of the comforter in dealing with pain and loss. If we're going to deal with the grief in our lives, we need people around us. It's the ministry of the comforter. Oh no, Pastor Joe, I'm strong. I'm going to get through this. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. I don't. Christianity is, 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 not, is not this, uh, I, I'm on my own. I can get through this. Here's an interesting thought. Uh, when we go through stress, high stress, the body releases a chemical called oxytocin. It's an interesting chemical. It's, the, it's, the, uh, it's a kind of a feel-good chemical. It's... Uh, the, the, the chemical that's released when, I'm, when, I'm, when a mum and, uh, and, and her baby are uh, um, breastfeeding. It, and the idea is, is, to, is to bond the two together. When we're, when we're highly stressed, a chemical that's naturally released in the body is oxytocin. The purpose of that is I need to, I need to connect with someone to help me get through this. We need people who will become the hands and the feet and the ears of Jesus. Moses on the hill, he's got Aaron and her. Jesus in Gethsemane, Peter, James and John. It's through people, the church of Jesus Christ, that God ministers healing to our soul. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source. He is the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can then comfort others. He helps us so that we can then help others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. We're comforted by God so that we can comfort others. One of the things we will all experience in life is pain. And we all need to do, learn to how to work through the pain. In our fast-paced society, we don't have time to grieve. Oh, you know, just got things to do. We just, we, we, oh, well, something's happened. 
and then we just get back on the treadmill because life goes on. But for many people, life just doesn't go on. Try to get back on the treadmill, but they just keep falling off. And if we want healing, it requires time. It takes time to acknowledge the pain, sit with the pain, work through the pain and get to the other side. And if we allow the pain to do its work, then like Job, we can experience a greater revelation of God. My ears had heard of him, but now my eyes have seen him. That's the power of grief. That's the power of the trial. That's the, we're going to look at this next week. That's the power. My ears had heard of him, but now my eyes have seen him. I've got a, I've got, I've, I saw God. And the best way to get through that season is through the ministry of the comforter. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. And when they're comforted, they're going to comfort others. How powerful is that? I tell you, it's powerful. My prayer is that that will be more and more true amongst us. I don't want us to ever be a church that's just superficial. What's your problem? Three steps, four steps, five steps, six steps. She'll be right, mate. You get over it. Be strong. I don't ever want us to be one of those churches that just gives some cheap answers that really have, make no difference in someone's life. Because I, I, I strongly believe that God does some of His greatest work in that, in that space that space of confusion, that space of perplexity, that space where we don't understand. It's where God does some of His greatest work in shaping the human heart. But the key is I've got to stay there. And if I'm surrounded with the right people, it's, they're going to help me navigate that season so I get to the other side. Because you will get through it. Some of you are saying, one of the great challenges here, I'm done, is I, don't, I, don't, I think I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. I don't ever think I'm going to get out of this thing. It feels like this is my lot in life. At least that's what the enemy, but, but where the friends can help is say, no, you, you'll get through this. God speaks in the storm. He spoke to Joe. He'll speak to you. Took 38 chapters, but he spoke. When Joseph was in, the, was in the prison, he came out. Moses in the desert. God spoke through a, through a burning book. He's going to speak to you. Just stay in the space. Don't give in to the temptation to find an easy way out. So today I wonder there might be some people who are grieving. Man, there might be some people in the midst of a trial, a situation that's not going to change. I lost my job. I'm going to apply for some more. You get another one. But what about those situations that are not going to change? It's unfixable. Makes no sense. It's a perplexity. God seems powerless and absent. It makes no sense to me. My prayer is that you would find comfort in God. That God would speak out of the storm in the name of Jesus. And that you would find comfort. And that in, that in that place, He would reveal Himself in a way that is powerful. And that you will be forever changed. 
You know, if you know people that have been through something like this. You're never the same again. It's like, it's like Joshua, you limp for the rest of your life. There's a limp. You walk, but you walk with a limp. Because you had an encounter with God. God does some of His greatest work in our lives in that place. So I just want every eye closed, every head bowed. Because I, I just want to give people an opportunity to respond today. As I was thinking, praying about today, verse came to mind that Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has called me to set at liberty, set the oppressed, blah, 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 blah. But what, what, one of the things he said is, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It's just that phrase caught my attention. To bring liberty to those who are oppressed. Some of those situations can oppress us. They can keep us locked up. Jesus came to bring liberty. So I, I, just, want to, I just want to pray for people today. And, and maybe no one, it's okay. But if, if God has spoken to you through this message, when I speak about loss, it's not just death. It's, there's plenty of losses out there, lots of losses that affect us deeply. And maybe, maybe there's, there's, there, you're working through some grief or some pain for whatever reason. If that's you, I just want you to stand right where you are. I just want you to stand and I'm going to pray with you in the name of Jesus. I'm just going to pray with you. That's right. You're dealing with some profound grief. And you kind of even feel weak. But you know that you're not weak. Just wonder, they're just going to, a couple more minutes. Sometimes at the, just doing stuff and suddenly a thought comes into mind. You still feel the pain. Yeah. I believe God wants to minister in that space. He wants to bring liberty in that space, freedom in that space. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just one more moment. Holy Spirit is speaking to some people. If you, you're just, I'm just going to pray with you. That's what I'm going to do. It's not a time to embarrass, shame, do anything. Just going to pray. Church, be praying. Just one more moment. I'm going to pray. And the word is really quite simple. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to bring your questions to God. It's okay to let God work in your life. It's okay. And so, Father, we just thank you that the Spirit of the Lord is present here today. That the Spirit of the Lord is here today to minister. The Word says... That even in those dark places, Lord God, in those difficult places, you, you, you can do a work in our lives that is, is amazing. What the enemy's meant for harm, you can use 
in some way. Lord, Lord, I just pray that by the Holy Spirit, those that are in this place, that you would, you would minister to them, Lord God. That you'd bring the right people around them that would guide them and lead them and protect them and guide them through that season, Lord God, I pray. Because ultimately you're the healer. You're the comforter. That in the midst of the darkness, we find you. That in the midst of the storm, we hear your voice. I just pray in the name of Jesus. I just pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just, just set at liberty those who are oppressed. I speak liberty in those places of darkness in the name of Jesus. I speak liberty in those, those places of oppression in the name of Jesus. I speak liberty. That what the, what the enemy wants to use to, 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 to block and to keep you down and, 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 and unproductive. Just speak liberty into those places in Jesus' name. Just speak liberty into those places. Freedom into those places, Lord God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Bind every work of the enemy. In Jesus' name. Bind that accusing voice in the name of Jesus. I bind it in Jesus' name. Just pray they would get a glimpse of you in the midst of the storm. A revelation of you in the midst of the trial. And this is our prayer and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Would everybody else stand with me? I know it's not your typical Father's Day message. Um, but you know what? For some people, today is real. This is real for some people today. And so I want to speak into that in Jesus' name. But for the, for the men that are walking out, you, 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 you're going to be going to get a nice treat as you go out to make you happy and uh, you're going to enjoy it and you're going to thank me for that as you walk out you're going, to th- you're going to thank me so Father we just thank you for all the dads incredible work that they do just bless them today let them experience your blessing give them wisdom, understanding that they may lead their families with truth and love I just thank you for them, thank you, thank you, thank you the men and also for the women that form the backbone of this church. Bless, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As always, I'll be here to pray for anyone. God bless you, everyone else. Have a great Sunday.